Here he a is. A very good afternoon to you, Victoria. A good afternoodles to you too, Bernando. Well, oh, indeed, I've told yeah. everyone who you are now. You don't have well, to tell them that, yourself. That's spoiled the surprise to our podcast listeners who've been listening for well over a year and still Do don't know Do a who BBC I am. breakfast and tell them who I am. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm joined now on the line by Victoria Mitzi. She's a podcaster and journalist and a mother of one, and she lives in Devon. Hello, Victoria. Hello, this is the 0898 Hear Me Moan line. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I think we've all heard plenty of that. Goodness Why are me. you in a bad mood, Ben Andrew? I'm not in a bad mood. I'm a very BBC, good mood. I, no, I'm, I know. I'm okay. I mean, it, it's been a really, really busy three weeks. And so I'm a little bit on the tired side, but I'm Shall in a we good relax mood. you with a true crime podcast? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so this week, what I really want to talk about is, I mean, it's a thing we've talked about a little bit before, but I just want to come back to it, because I think it bears revisiting every now and then, and that is miscarriages of justice. Yep, it sounds as bad as it is, doesn't it? <laughs> Quite, it does. <laughs> it sounds, it does what it says on the tin. I mean, obviously it's particularly bad. For, well, it's, the thing is, it's bad, obviously, for the victim of the mis miscarriage of justice, the person who goes to prison for many years um, when they didn't commit a crime and they know they didn't commit the crime. But of course, it's also really bad for the the families, the loved ones of the victim who was actually, um, in most cases, murdered, because of course, they haven't actually got justice. They've seen somebody sent to prison, but that, if that's the wrong person, then that's no justice for them either. And I think that's something that often gets overlooked. And if it's you, you're fucked. Well, quite. Essentially. Well, indeed. Um, especially, can I say, mm -hmm. that is especially poignant if you have mental health problems and you are vulnerable and you can't stand up for yourself. So you get put into a position by oftentimes political circumstances. Yep, absolutely. And, and Terribly I, I sad. Mean, talking about the mental health issue, of course, is that two of the people we will talk about did have... Um, uh, mental health issues um one had a reading age i think of 11 even though he was an adult um and the other two uh, had learning difficulties so it, it and and these and, and the ones we're going to talk about primarily uh, go back to what you might call the golden age of miscarriage of justice which was sort of the mid 1970s when there seemed to be a spate of these get your trousers on you're nicked but it does seem in particular that the police had a real tendency uh, when they were faced with a crime that didn't have a very obvious immediate resolution to pin it on the nearest person with learning difficulties or whatever who they felt would be unable to stand up for themselves and so the two in particular that we're going to look at today i mean i'll mention in passing the cases of the guildford four and the Maguire seven uh, there were guildford pub bombings in october 1974. Um, four people were convicted of carrying them out wrongly um, they were released in 1989 um, because it wasn't them that carried it out. It was um, uh, members of the provisional IRA. And then the Maguire Seven were convicted in 1976 of handling the explosives used. And again, they were wrongly convicted and they were released in 1991. But we're not really talking about those today. The two we're really focusing on, two crimes of murder. One, the murder in 1974 of Wendy Sewell, who was a legal secretary and she was murdered in Bakewell in Derbyshire. Uh, and uh, she was attacked in a cemetery in Bakewell uh, in 1973. Um, she, had been, she had been seen by a witness entering the cemetery at around about 10 to one. Um, and at some point in there, she had been beaten with a pickaxe, sexually assaulted. Uh, she'd 
been stripped of her trousers, uh, underwear, uh, her shoes and uh, parts of her bra. And she died in hospital two days later uh, from her injuries. The other one we're looking at is the murder of um, uh, an 11 year old child, Leslie Moleseed in October in 1975 in West Yorkshire. She was from Rochdale in Greater Manchester and she was uh, sent by her mother to a shop um, to buy some bread and some air freshener. And she uh, was last seen in a secluded road called Steops Lane. Um, she failed to return home. The, her mother sent her brothers and sisters out to look for her. Um, and then the police were contacted. A search was started. And three days later, her body was found on a sort of grassy knoll or turf shelf, if you like, um, in a remote roadside lay-by uh, near Rishworth Moor in West Yorkshire. Uh, and in both of those cases, um, men were convicted of the killings who suffered from learning in, uh, difficulties. Now, um, in I've the case of... I've actually got one... a, quite an interesting expression I've never heard before, um, that Stefan Kitschko is being referred to as intellectually disabled. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just thought I'd put that in because I, th I think it sounded interesting. I wonder if that's a particular condition. I mean, so so Stefan Kitschko, he was charged in 1975, but the actual trial took place uh, the following year and he was jailed in 1976. Um, now, his defence team made significant mistakes and there were various reasons, but he was convicted and he served um, 16 years in prison before his conviction was overturned uh and in 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 the mid 1990s and um he died in february 1992 before he could um, actually collect any of the money owed to him for his wrongful conviction in 2006 uh, a dna match led to the arrest of another man uh, ronald castry um and he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Leslie Molseed. So in this particular case, albeit um, 21 years, uh, 75, 85, no, sorry, 31 years after the killing, the the murderer of Leslie Molseed was actually caught and convicted um, of, of, her, of her killing. And during his time in prison, his condition, physical, both physical and mental deteriorated an awful lot during that time which is yeah, unsurprising it, really it, it was absolutely horrible for Stefan Kitschko he was um you know he had he was in jail for murdering an 11 year old child he was that, that's what's called a nonsense crime and so he was a nonce um he was hated obviously by other inmates he would he was taunted he received verbal and written death threats during his first months in prison on four different occasions he was physically attacked um, on one on one occasion, he was set upon in his cell by five prisoners uh, who cut his mouth, injured his knee and ankle, um, smashed up his radio. Uh, a, a year later, he was um, struck on the head with a mop um, and suffered a, a head injury. Uh, he was attacked again uh, in 1978, the following year. Um, in 1981, he was again attacked. Sorry? This is hideous. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He, he he was, and the thing is, I mean, you've got to think if five prisoners get into his cell to attack him, you have to suspect at least that this has sort of, you know, prison warders turning a blind eye and sort of, you know, knowing that something might be afoot, but choosing not to intervene or not to stop it happening. 
um, you have to suspect that was the case, albeit this was, you know, um, back in the mid-1970s. And then the backdrop um, of this to the entire crime is that there's a small girl being assaulted and murdered. It, it Just all of it is totally unbelievable. Yeah. You know, just it, the combination of awful events. Yeah. And the other problem, of course, is that there is a... There is a um, uh, a, a sort of a, a principle in British justice that um, when you're sentenced to, to, to jail, obviously you, uh, after a period of time in prison, you come up to the point where you can be considered for parole. You can be considered for release on license if you are considered to be someone who does not um, pose an ongoing risk to the public. The difficulty is you can only be considered for parole if you acknowledge um, the crime you committed. So Stefan Klitschko, um, despite being frequently, um, you know, eligible for parole, because he refused to uh, admit that he'd murdered Leslie Moleseed, he refused to, uh, for example, take part in sex offenders treatment programmes because, you know, he said he wasn't a sex offender, he hadn't uh, committed the murder. Um, because he, you know, if he'd gone into these programs, he would have had to discuss what motivated him to do it, um, and to, you know, accept that he had to do things to address his offending behaviour. Uh, and yet he said, you know, because he was absolutely adamant, quite rightly, that he didn't mm, do it. As he would, he never, he never, um, he never um, qualified for this, which is why he was never uh, eligible for parole. And so it was only when he was finally um, cleared, they realised that there'd been a miscarriage of justice that he was um, he was released from prison and you know his mother um had campaigned for many years uh to protest her son's innocence but she was ignored or just put off um by well her local mp cyril smith for a start of course you know, later emerged that he was a a sex offender himself i mean and prime ministers um, jim callahan margaret thatcher and by the legal system um it was only um in uh the the sort of mid 1980s when she was put in touch with a solicitor Campbell Malone who had agreed to look at uh, the case and uh, Malone consulted the lawyer who had been the junior to his original defense lawyer um, a man named Waddington and um, Mr this this deputy expressed his own doubts about the confession and conviction and over the next few years they petitioned the home secretary and finally it was agreed that there would be a the case would be reopened and immediately, as soon as the police, a senior superintendent from um, West Yorkshire Police looked back into the case, he immediately found several glaring errors. Uh, medical evidence indicated conclusively that Stefan Klitschko was innocent. And this contradicted, you know, there was all sorts of things. I mean, um, he had a, a condition that rendered him infertile, which contradicted forensic evidence obtained at the time of the murder. There, there were all sorts of, you know, forensic and other reasons why he couldn't have possibly carried out the killing. So all these indecent exposures he was supposedly guilty of, that a few young girls, children, came forward and said that he was guilty of, they were just fabricated? Yeah, absolutely. So so the four girls who... Uh, so th this time in, in 1991, when it, all this was being um, revisited and re-examined, those girls who said that he had um, basically flashed at them the day before uh, the murder... At that time, they were they were then 27, 28, 31 and 33. And they admitted um, in evidence that that they had lied for a laugh because they thought at the time it was funny. Oh um, and so, 
it was they 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 you know basically that their lies actually probably went a long way to um Stefan Klitschko being convicted. Um, Can I tell you something really sweet? Go on. Do you know this? That he had an unusual Klitschko had an unusual hobby of writing down registration numbers of cars that had annoyed him. <laughs> okay. I know I'm surrounded by individuals who behave like that. I hope you've got a record of every registration number of someone who's annoyed you. It's all in there. <laughs> <laughs> but now, thinking so, so Stefan Klitschko served a long time in prison for a crime he didn't commit. But an even worse miscarriage of justice is one I actually covered because I was at the High Court when this case was overturned in 2002. And this is the case of Stephen Downing. Now, Stephen Downing was a, a young cemetery worker. Uh, he had he was 17 year old uh, groundsman, I suppose. Um, he had a reading age of 11, and back in 1973, uh, he was working at Bakewell Cemetery when uh, Wendy Sewell, uh, a, a secretary, um, went and en went into the cemetery and was was beaten around the head with a pickaxe, sexually assaulted. And as I said, she was stripped of her, some of her clothing. Uh, he was arrested straight away because because the police um, found him with her blood on her. He said it was because he'd found a line on the ground and had tried to shake her head. And that's how the blood had got on his clothes. Um, he was questioned for nine hours without a solicitor present. Um, during that questioning, the police had grabbed him by the hair to wake him up and generally treated him in a way that would just not be acceptable nowadays. Um, however, he signed a confession, obviously under duress um, and without a solicitor present. This was um, put before the jury at Nottingham Crown Court. Um, although Stephen Downing pleaded not guilty, uh, a forensic act, uh, scientist said that the blood found on him could only have been present if he had actually carried out the assault. The assault, um, of course, they had the police had a confession that was given in evidence, and da uh, Downing, Stephen Downing, was found guilty uh, of murder unanimously. Um, again, he was caught in what's known as the innocent prisoner's dilemma. He couldn't be paroled because he didn't admit to the crime. He was considered as being in denial and therefore ineligible for parole. And he served 27 years in prison. It was only in 2002 that his uh, his conviction was overturned. And this was actually by a campaign by a local newspaper, and in, in particular, uh, the local newspaper editor, the editor of the Matlock Mercury, uh, Don Hale, who took up this case um, after um, his family, Stephen Gowling's family, wrote to the newspaper and tried to point out all these things that... Um, Can I say that's a great uh, name? What, Don Hale? Isn't it? It is it's a great English. name, isn't it? He's the Don. Yeah. And actually, all drug dealers in, in Latin America are called Don Bloody Blah, aren't they? Oh, okay. <laughs> You'd be Don Ben. <laughs> Don Benny. <laughs> that makes it sound completely different. Sorry to interrupt that. I thought, sorry to interrupt that. All getting that... a bit dry. So you... <laughs> so you were at Nottingham Crown Court? No, no, the, the, um, the appeal took place in London. Uh, at the see. Court of Appeal, of the Court of Appeal, of course, in the, the Royal Courts of Justice on um, at the Royal Courts of Justice on the Strand, which is where the Appeal Court is, and the appeal was heard. It's very appealing, the building. It is very appealing. So, I mean, so so Don Hale and others put forward these reasons why the conviction was unsafe. The fact that the the confession uh, was obtained uh, under duress and should never have been allowed to stand. The fact that the forensic evidence that supposedly claimed that only he he could only got this blood on her 
uh, if he had been the, the the killer was absolute nonsense um and uh, other things there were there were issues around um a witness who had described seeing uh wendy sewell um said she could see something that was important but in fact she wouldn't have been able to because they showed that some fully grown trees were obstructing, uh, obstructing the line of sight there, there were various um uh, other sort of you know, bits of evidence that were clearly um, wrong. And for that reason, the conviction was quashed and Stephen Downing was released after 27 years in prison. Mm, that's terrible. I mean, uh, the, uh, the thing is also that the police then um, reinvestigated this um, under the name Operation Noble. And during 2002, uh, they interviewed a, a th 1,600 witnesses, although Stephen Downey himself refused to be interviewed, possibly understandably. Um, the police identified 22 other possible suspects, some of whom uh, had been suggested by uh, Don Hale but they failed to link any other individual with the murder. And also they were unable to eliminate Stephen Downing as the suspect, so they declared the case was closed. Because of course, although he supposedly remains the prime suspect, under the double jeopardy rule, uh, he couldn't be um, charged and uh, tried for the same crime twice. Although of course, subsequently, the double jeopardy rule has been changed, but it only applies now to subsequent cases. So in 2014, a former detective obtained a pathology report which he claimed was buried by the police in 1973 within a few days of the attack on Wendy Sewell and he said it would have exonerated Stephen Dowling and prevented a miscarriage of justice. So there is evidence um, that does point to um, Stephen Downing's innocence even though in their first reinvestigation in 2002 the police were sort of hinting I suppose by saying he remained their prime suspect that they thought he'd still done it but it's quite clear that he didn't and there is a murder weapon a pickaxe handle found um it was now it was it was subsequently subjected uh, to a modern forensic examination and although stephen downing's fingerprints were not found on it there was a bloody palm print from an un unyet unidentified and as yet unidentified person what did you get from covering it um, yeah, I mean, I suppose what it gave me, I mean, that, covering that case and covering other miscarriages of justice and also, you know, um, we're, we're going to come back to the Michael Stone case, the Chillenden murders in a minute. Um, I think what that made me realise is, first of all, we should never, ever return to the death penalty because these two individuals would almost certainly have been put to death. Uh, if we had the death penalty and they were innocent. And I think the, the, I can think of a few things more horrific than going, you know, have feeling that noose go around your neck or, you know, if you were hanged or whatever, if you genuinely knew you were an innocent person, that would just be horrendous. So first of all, there's that at least, okay, you know, Stephen Downing lost 27 years of his life in prison, but he didn't die in prison and he didn't... Um, he didn't die, you know, uh, in, 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 a, in a prison um, uh, on the end of a, a, a hangman's noose. So, you know, he wasn't executed. So, you know, you, to, to some extent, you can put it right if the person is still alive. So there's, first of all, that. Well, that's and secondly, a good way of looking just... at it, because some might argue that you've had your life taken from you if you're living in that way, being blamed for something. That's sort of living death, isn't it? I think well, I said yeah, that on the podcast but he was, before. That, but yes, it was for live. Okay, so for 27 years, he had that hanging over him. He knew he was innocent, and eventually he was able to prove his innocence, and he was released. Um, if he'd been executed, say, you know, six months or a year after his conviction, that couldn't have happened. True. I mean, I, I do see your point. I think that's important. Yeah. It's more important. So 
anyway, so coming back to the modern day, and we're looking at the so the, the the one I'm really not confident about is Michael Stone. So I covered the trial at the first trial of Michael Stone, um, and he was convicted on the basis of the evidence from, in particular, uh, a young man named Damien Daly, um, who claimed that Michael Stone had confessed. So um, the Chillenden murders were a notorious uh, case um, in. Um, 1996, a 45-year-old Lynn Russell and her daughters, uh, six-year-old Megan and nine-year-old Josie, were viciously attacked by someone with a hammer uh, when they were walking home down a quiet country lane in Kent. Um, Josie survived the attack, but Lynn and Megan and, and their family dog uh, were all killed. Uh, Michael Stone uh, was charged in 1997 with the murders, and the evidence against him was... There was no forensic evidence leaking into the scene at all. The main evidence against him was that he had what um, been arrested, I think, because he was one of a number of possible suspects. Um, and then in prison, he supposedly confessed to another inmate via a heating pipe from his cell. Um, I mean, that sort of sounds slightly odd. Is but, that but like just... when you go to the playground and you have those things? Have you, did they have them when you were going? Oh, like two baked bean cans with a piece of string. <laughs> they, but they do quite work. And here's someone sort of, which sounds like somebody in uh, in prison going, <laughs> oh, well, I mean, so, so you know, Michael Stone was somebody who had had um, some mental health problems again, so it comes back to that common theme of mental health problems. He had been seeing a psychiatrist, and um, he had told the psychiatrist during his treatment that he had had fantasies about killing someone. Now, when the original um, crime took place and uh, the, the police released an e-fit of the man they wanted to speak to about the case, the, that psychiatrist thought that it looked a bit like Michael Stone. That's why Michael Stone was arrested. That's why he was put in prison. And it was when he was in prison on remand that he supposedly had made this confession to Damien Daly. Um, now, Damien Daly um, was a known liar. In fact, he himself has subsequently convict been convicted of murder, but that's kind of not, not relevant here. Eventually, there, there was a retrial when Damien Daly's witness, uh, evidence was uh, dismissed, but at the second trial, he was also found guilty um, because even though there's no forensic evidence, it seems that for whatever reason, um, there was enough evidence for him to be convicted. Now, a lot of people have talked about the possibility of Levi Belfield being responsible for this killing. Now, Levi Belfield has said that he was in the area on the day it happened, although Colin Sutton, our old friend Colin Sutton, of course, says that he has a, he um, thinks that uh, Levi Belfield was, according to Levi Belfield's partner, was not in the area uh, when it happened. Um, and he was actually in he West London. He thinks that he wasn't. He th Colin, Colin Sutton thinks that he wasn't. Yeah, Colin Sutton says that he's he is fairly sure that on the day of the Chillenden murders, uh, Levi Belfield was actually... Because he's looked into this. Was. Uh, yeah. Was, he, yeah. Because he on the says day of the that on the ITV thing that we were watching, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. So on the day of the Chillenden murders, Levi Belfield was in West London on the Surrey borders uh, having a meal with his then-girlfriend to celebrate a family birthday. So he couldn't have been in Kent at that time. The other the other thing is, I mean, the other where it doesn't really match up with Levi is that Levi um, always attacked a particular type, which was young blonde women. 
um, Marsha McDonald, Emily de Lagrange, uh, Kate Sheedy, uh, all young uh, blonde women who were attacked by Levi Belfield. And wasn't Millie he Downer, found with the scribbled out thing of like fashion and yeah, he, magazines? Yeah, he used to sort of like, that's right, He they found them and stuff. His, um, his partner said she found magazines where he'd sort of scratched out the eyes of blonde models. If you models want more details on that, it's our episode 15. Right, right from the beginning we did that, didn't we? It's called Chillin' Dumb Birders. Gosh, well remembered, I'm impressed. I'm a fact Someone's file. Someone's done her homework. YDLMF. No, I was just uh. furiously looking for it just now. <laughs> That's why it started playing a few moments ago. Yeah. I was like... <laughs> but, but, but the point being is that Levi Belfield's, you know, was somebody who clearly would attack um, adult young women. I mean, uh, how old was Millie Dowler? 12 or 13, I think. She was 13. She was 13 years old. But she was... I, I suspect the point being is that Millie Dowler, uh, when Levi Belfield saw her, would have looked perhaps like a, 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 a older than, say, 13, perhaps. There's certainly no evidence that Levi Belfield would have attacked a small child like a six-year-old or a nine-year-old. No, he had a gripe with women specifically, didn't he? Yeah, That's his... specifically blonde women. Mm. So, um, on the other hand, um, you know... Levi Belfield, we there is evidence he was in that area, and there is also so 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 um, uh, Michael Stone's solicitor Paul Bacon, who is actually the broadcaster Richard Bacon's dad, um, has told a I've press conference. I've worked with Richard Bacon. Uh, t- yeah, he's really good. Yeah, uh, he told a press good. conference that um, Michael uh, Levi Belfield had made a confession to uh, carrying out the Chillenden murders. I thought um, that was where we stood in our yeah. episode fifteen. Yes. I thought you were quite convinced of that. Yeah, I, I am. And Just I, because I, he had a high voice. Yeah, that's right. And also, yeah, quite. <laughs> Why, Levi? Uh, and um, this what is... What else did uh, Colin say? But the, yeah, that he was on. like, it begins with fat, and he didn't <laughs> like being called it. That's well, it's right, two yeah. words. <laughs> Actually, there's a name for our episode. Okay. I, um, I don't no, think but, we're talking about either the, of the, us. <laughs> But <laughs> the point is that in according to Paul Bacon, in this confession, uh, Levi Belfield puts a couple of details in there that have not previously been in the public domain. And, and that sort of obviously makes your ears prick up. Um, now, subsequently, Belfield is denied making the confession. And his solicitor, Julie Cooper, says um, that not only has he denied making that confession, but also that Michael Stone had offered payment to him. Because Michael Stern has said, when I'm released, because I didn't do this, I'll get compensation. I'll give you some of that money if you confess to it. So, it, I mean, it is again, here we go again, really. Is, for his, poor solicitor old called, so, is his solicitor Julie Cooper, did you say? Julie Cooper. <laughs> Truly, it is Julie. She's the daughter of Tommy. Julie and Julie. Well, people say they're sisters. <laughs> well, they're just a vile bunch of liars. So it must be like quite difficult to find a needle in that haystack. Well, indeed, and uh, who who would want to be ferreting around in Levi's haystack? Certainly not I. Nobody. I think that was part of his problem. No, he just made himself completely repulsive, didn't he? <laughs> so has he actually confessed? Didn't he start making noises that he had something to tell people just to be an annoying fat cunt? Yeah, that, that was it. So, he, I mean, <laughs> obviously he's an attention seeker. Obviously he, um, and this is what we did talk about before, is that he, you know, was looking for a way to sort of make himself... Uh, the big I am again, you get himself in the news again. So there was a suggestion that he was sort of starting to hint. Of course, the problem is it's a, it's a, 
it's a card you can only play once and you either confess or you don't confess. You either say, yes, I did do it or no, I didn't. Um, and as soon as you have confessed, you then get convicted of it. And yes, you have your moment in court. Although, of course, Levi Belfield chose not to come to court for his sentencing for the murder of Millie Dowler. Um, he basically skulked away in his cell and refused to come out. Um, but, you know, the um, yeah, he would have his moment. But then, of course, he would be, a I don't know, even less likely ever to be free. Not that he will ever be freed anyway. Um, and that that would then definitely be that. And and so I, mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe Levi Belfi just thinks to himself, he's you know, he's such an unpleasant individual, he wouldn't even want to you know say something that could see an innocent man, if Michael Stone is indeed innocent, um, be freed. So um, where do we sit on that one? Well, where we sit on that one actually is that I do think there probably should be another trial. I don't think the evidence against Michael Stone is strong. I think there should be a really serious look at whether it could have been Levi Belfield. Look at, I mean, just double check that the dates do tally according to, as, as, as Colin Sutton suggests. And even maybe, you know, could he have got to this birthday party um, after on Kent? I, I, I don't know. I, you know, you need to look really closely at it. I mean, I mean, I do trust Colin. If Colin's sure he didn't believe him guilty, then um, I'm inclined to think that's true. But I just think it would be helpful to everybody if it was looked at properly again yeah wasn't there a deliberation or a they were looking for the boot lace as well wasn't that something that's to do right with well it? there was that's right they were and looking they for forensics it. they found nothing they, didn't they well there was it? there was sorry they, they lost the boot lace is the thing they, there was some forensic evidence but they lost it and, uh, and, it and the other found. thing is i mean we're coming and then lost again um, I mean, I'm coming back to the the point I made right at the start, which is that these miscarriages of justice don't just impact on the person who is wrongly sent to prison. They also impact on the loved ones of those who are the victims of the original crime. Mm. And in this particular case, Sean Russell, who was um, Megan and Russell's father, Josie Russell's father and, and Lynn Russell's husband, he has previously expressed doubt about Michael Stone's guilt. Um, he has said um, in the press before, all the way through, there's been this niggling doubt. And if I'd been on the, that jury, that is the, the, the trial jury at Michael Stone's trial, I think I'd have been one of the two against the 10 who thought he was guilty. I can't say 100% that he killed Lynn and Megan. And while there is that doubt, I cannot direct my anger or hatred towards him. So if you've got, you know, Sean Russell saying that he isn't sure, then I think you have to look again at that case. Listen, The Sun tells us on the 26th of June, 2021, that Levi Belfield's, Belfield's DNA fear, serial killer Levi Belfield, extremely worried about his DNA being on a shoelace that's key to Russell murder case. Yeah. Levi Belfield said he's extremely worried how Belfield in jail for killing schoolgirl Millie Dowler and two women had admitted being near the scene where, so he'd admitted it, where yeah. Lynn... 45 and Megan six were murdered in Chillenden, Kent. He's talking about it a lot. But the point of him admitting it is that Colin Sutton says he couldn't have been because he was at a part a birthday do. And is he saying that just to draw attention to himself? Here, the 99 centimetre black bootlace was found recently by police after being lost for 14 years. It was dropped at the scene by the killer. So they did find it. Yes, but then it was, it was put into evidence, but then it was later on lost, wasn't it? But this was found in june 21 oh okay what the actual bootlace yes and i remember tweeting it ah mm. oh, okay right it's wow. now being tested using new dna techniques 
result oh, okay. could well, prove whether ex-heroin addict Michael Stone, age 60, serving life for the 1996 murders is guilty or innocent. Ooh, and they've well, got a beautiful looking... picture of Levi. Well, we are looking forward then to the results of that, aren't we? Mm. Mm. Okay, well, we'll revisit this, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. Yep. And okay. thank you very much for raising miscarriages of justice. We got there eventually, didn't we, we did. Big Bear? Absolutely. Thank you very not much. Not just for, you, for, Big Bear. No, no, no. I'm not, no, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Big Bear. Thank, thank you for raising that with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Good shout. Yeah, and um, those crimes are kind of, in terms of crimes, they're worth covering. Yeah. And so I, I okay, I know sure what yet. you're. I know you're dying to tell me, Victoria, what the latest is on the pedo prince. Oh yes, I am. Let's update you all, shall we? <laughs> I can't think of him as anything other than Randy Andy. So that's Randy how Andy. I'm going to refer to him. Prince Randy Andrew's Glandy legal Andy. team to receive document they believe will end Virginia Jeffrey's civil lawsuit. So the latest is, first of all, they were banging on his door again, weren't they? And um, uh, the Duke of York's lawyer argued that his accuser, Virginia Giffray, had entered into a settlement agreement that would end her current sexual assault lawsuit. So let's see what comes of that, because they've applied for this copy of a 2009 settlement, which is between, she claimed that, Virginia Jeffrey claims she was trafficked by Jeffrey Epstein, the Duke's former friend, and that she was made to have sex with Andrew when she was 17 and a minor under US law. Uh-huh. Um, he's, Prince Andrew's denied all the allegations, uh, but Miss Jeffrey's lawyer, David Boys, was granted permission by Judge Loretta Preska to supply Andrew's legal team with a previously sealed document, but the attorney believes it's irrelevant to the case against Prince Andrew. And I think that's all we need to say. It's yeah. debatable whether this will prove anything, but it's got uh, for, it's further need for slightly worried photographs of the ageing and increasing in weight prints to be printed. <laughs> would you have... Would you put him on a diet to make him look more sort of like, you know, uh, Jura friendly? That's really interesting, actually, to say that. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, do, do you think the Jura relate more to a happy fat prince or a sort of, you know, slightly shifty looking skinny prince? I think it's more the concerned expression on his face that's constantly making him yeah. look like he should be doubted. And his sh- bullshit about sweating and going to Pizza Express, stupid wanker. <laughs> we Brutal. <laughs> Are you not a fan of the prince? <laughs> oh, yeah, I find him really attractive. No, I find him revolting, actually. But he's revolting in a different way from Belfield. Oh, okay. So he's, Belfield he's not... is skin-crawly revolting. Yeah. Andrew is just slippery, sort of very much believing that because he's a prince, his lies are believable. Oh, and that he's, okay. you know, he's on his moral high horse about everything else. And he shagged Fergie. Well, is that is that in itself that's a crime, a crime. yeah <laughs> <laughs> it depends somebody who likes two jobs oh, although you know. had a toe job didn't you ben no it was it was um johnny bryant gave um fergie a toe job yeah fergie. he was her, finan- he, was her finan- about. <laughs> he was her financial advisor who had to warn her that things can go down as well as up and i'm saying that that you had a toe job when when you had an ingrown toenail. Oh, I did have a toe. Oh, yes, that's right. I'm now referring no, no, to, every, to it I every didn't week, have an. Okay, so week. just 
just for clarity, dear listeners, and I don't know why you're being subjected to this. It's Victoria's twisted mind. Um, I didn't have an ingrowing toenail. What happened was I I had a, I wore a too tight ski boot when I went skiing once, which caused my nail on one of my big toes to just drop off. You weren't wearing the ski boot when you didn't ski. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I wore it around the restaurant and everything. <laughs> just to around pretend the it was apre ski. Yeah. When you got Apre in from boot. work. <laughs> uh, let me put my Apre, my Apre ski boots on. And for that reason, uh, I then had to have a procedure which involved them basically, because then it's kind of bits started to grow back and it was all very revolting. And no, really, nobody wants to hear about the ugly feet of a 55-year-old man. So well, that's really that interesting now because you were banging on about it like a hammer toe at the time. A ch- <laughs> like a camel toe. <laughs> <laughs> what is a hammer toe? I know what camel toe is. What's a uh, hammer toe? I don't know. You, I think you just made it up, haven't you? Oh, have I? I don't know. I've never heard of hammer toe before. I think we should I've consult heard... our good friend Google. I've heard of hammer time. Can't touch this. And hammer stein. Hammer time. <laughs> I've yeah. heard of Amu- hammer toe I've... NHS. Hammer toe surgery. I'm not going to click on that. I've heard of Abu Hammer. Oh, no, that's Abu Hamza. <laughs> He was Captain Hook, Hooky toe. Yeah. Okay, just How do you straighten a hammer toe? Oh, I see. It's, oh, it's when they cross over. When they Ooh, go gnarly. Oh, I've never had that. Well, having taught yoga, I've seen quite a lot of hammer toes. Well, okay. Well, compared to that, my toes are absolutely beautiful. Have you got nice feet? I think I've got okay feet, yeah. I mean, for a man, you know, men's feet are not exactly the most beautiful parts of Some anything. Some men have beautiful feet. And actually, let us know if you have beautiful feet, because I'm quite a fan of beautiful feet. I can't stand looking at anything which is, like, not up to scratch, though. So so would you be quite judgmental about feet? Very judgmental. In fact, it was such an important deal breaker to me that I did not reproduce with anyone without nice hands and feet. Really? Yes, because I don't like my hands. What's wrong with your hands? There's nothing wrong with them. A bit wrinkly. (laughs) Are you joking? (laughs) I don't know. Am I joking? I've always thought they were quite gnarly. Like, I (laughs) I don't have very long fingers. That's right. You've got really stumpy fingers. I've got stumpy toes. They're not stumpy. Are those stumpy fingers? Can you see? Oh, hang on. Let me bring you into vision. Yeah, they're really short fingers. You'd never be a concert pianist, would you, with those? (laughs) Well, it's uh, men like it. Well, men like short fingers. Obviously. Little hands make their cocks look bigger. Exactly. (laughs) You just go right out there and say it, don't you, Ben? (laughs) It's better, though, being not a short girl to have small hands and feet, I think. That's that's something I'm pleased with. And I've been told that my feet are quite nice, but I did think that longer fingers were more elegant and my daughter's inherited them. Oh, that's nice for her, then. Good good for her. Yeah. Um, It is quite elegant. It's quite important. And... Are they better for picking your nose? I'm not sure. I I, I wouldn't know. I'm not I mean, going to let her pick your nose. I wouldn't know how good you or, or your daughter are at picking your noses. <laughs> well, we could show you one day if you like. Happy days. I can hardly wait. I think. Is there anything else that we need to do? Oh, yes. Oh, very important newsflash. Very important newsflash. Oh, God. Are you ready? Yeah, go on then. It's the barrel rolling festival in ottery st mary what on earth is that right do i want to know 
Okay, carrying flaming barrels, known as rolling, it happens on November the 5th, and it has all, has done so for... I was going to say always done so, because I'm <laughs> Victoria Mitzi, and it's done so for more than 30 years. And, and that's... Have you heard of that? No, I haven't heard of it. It's called the tar barrel tradition. Ah, okay. Right, fair enough. I remember covering it when I had nothing to do with Devon at all and didn't live here and I had to do it because it was so odd that people were like rolling flaming barrels down a hill for absolutely no reason. (laughs) Just because they could. It's a funny name, isn't it? Funny, crazy name, crazy place. Oh, it is. Ottery St Mary is known as Ottery and it's a civil parish in the East Devon district of Devon. England on the River Otter. Hey, there should be an Otter FM. Take us home with you by searching the Otter on the TuneIn app and enjoy the soundtrack of Superior anywhere, anytime. What do otters do? They lie on their backs, don't they, in the water? I was trying to think of a slogan for it based on what otters do, like, you know, clucking good fun for a chicken. Clucking good fun. Otters don't cluck. No, what do you think? They they sort of squeak. Squeaking, squeaking. Squeaking It's squeaking good. It's squeaking good. Yeah, you're really. You're not, I think. I think you're losing them now. <laughs> right. Well. Yeah. Okay. I'm. I'm off to roll some barrels. Yay! Enjoy your barrel rolling. Um. Tell me how tremendously successful your business is. It's going okay at the moment. We might be hiring someone. I know. I've put in my resume. Okay. Well, if you think you'd be good at what we do, then I'll. I'll give it due what consideration. What do you need someone for? Is it for your work or is it for answering the phone? No, it's for product design, management, uh, project <gasps> terrible management. Terrible working for you. I know. I'd be. A t- I'm a terrible, terrible boss. Tyrant. That is absolutely right. You would hate every minute of it. Are you a tyrant? You, uh, I like to think I'm sort of like you know yes probably, but I'd like to think that I'm just somebody who wants high standards. So have you put an advert out yet? Can anyone, no. any of our listeners apply? No, 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 no. There's, there's, there's a guy who might be working with us who we have approached about it, but it's all early days yet. And it does depend on a few other ducks dropping into a certain row. Okay, let's give out our addresses then. For if you, any applications you want to send in for Ben's GIMP um, can be <laughs> sent to you didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. You do have to provide your own GIMP suit as well. Yeah, entirely self at COVID proofed. <laughs> suit not included. <laughs> and buymeacoffee.com forward slash YDLMF podcast. Oh. If you asked. Everybody wants to know. Have I said it right? Buymeacoffee.com forward slash YDLMF. That's it. Oh, what? Has anybody, has anybody ever bought your coffee? You keep saying that. I know, and actually, I can't believe it. I can't believe anybody's bought your actually coffee. Actually, people just turn up with coffees, and I think that's really nice. Oh, well, okay, you. fair enough then. Well, I'll shut it then. Yeah, I know. Other this people are nice, Ben. Yeah, I'm shutting it. Yep, um, I'll buy your coffee for Christmas if you're good. And in return, you'll delete me. As ever, the traditional, <laughs> the traditional Christmas deletion. <laughs> the traditional Christmas fuck off. <laughs> if you're lucky. Oh, maybe we'll do a Christmas quiz. Christmas is in the air, isn't it? Oh, that's the point. We will. Did we do a Christmas quiz last year? Don't we you did. remember? I do remember. We did. It was yes. a Moida quiz. It was a, when they met. It was Moida. Okay, what okay. what was that from? What show was that from? What do you mean? What show? Oh, what number? No, no, that, that saying, when they met, it was Moida. 
What show was that from? Was it Heart to Heart? Yes, it was. Ah, uh, we were made With for Robert each other, Wanger then. and Stephanie Powers. <laughs> A second this is Mrs. only. H. She's gorgeous. To Kramer versus. And what Kramer. was the name of the dog? Oh, come on now, Ottery. Okay. The name of the dog in Heart to Heart. Everybody knows it was Freeway. I think you're a little more obsessed than I am. Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it's lovely to hear from all of you. So don't forget about us on Twitter as well. Uh, oh, and, and, and we are... Oh, God. I, put, I think we're in another chart. Are we? Yeah, I think so. I'll tell you more about it when I run it past you so that you can tell me I'm not a, being scammed. <laughs> Okay. It's a man in Nigeria. <laughs> is he a royal prince? Who, <laughs> as it turned out, that some of your relatives were killed on the Prince Alicious Highway into Lagos. <laughs> that's and, really, that's very far-fetched, that one. <laughs> uh, oh, thank you for things that I haven't seen that people have rated and reviewed us. So thank okay. you for doing that. And I'm really shit for not having said anything about it. Having said that, I haven't bothered you to do it. So if you haven't done it, do do it because that apparently the chart depends on that. And we're like, we're kind of behind because other people pester people more. So wherever your provider is or whatever platform you're listening, wherever you get your podcasts, as they say, um, then go to that and rate and review us nicely. Um, or actually do a horrible one so I can complain about it too. Okay, is it just like no, uh, all publicity is good publicity type thing? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is because all publicity is good publicity, I think. No, I just uh, like interaction. I like it, good and bad. I like feedback. Do you? Yeah, I do. I'm so okay. used to it. Fair enough. You know, that's why we want to broadcast, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, because you, you, you just want that kick, don't you? Somebody, look at me, look at me, everyone, look at me. Oh, do you miss look at me? Mm, I, I don't think I do, actually, no. I'm I saw totally... you doing RIPs today. Oh, yeah, that was, oh, James Brokenshire, that was really sad. Yeah, it is very sad, but I didn't yeah. realise that you had anything to do with him. Well, I, when he, he was Home Office Minister, when I was doing a lot of my crime reporting, and I used to interview him quite a fair, a fair amount, actually, and he was just, I mean, you know, he was a very, very decent, very genial um, easy to talk to guys, always seemed very fair and, you know, um, just decent. Mm, Pity. It's what sad when the good ones go. And he was young as well, wasn't he? He was young. He was younger than I am. He's only 53. Poor bastard. Do you know if he smoked? That's I do the first thing that people smoked. say, isn't it? I'm pretty sure he didn't. I never, Well, I never saw him with a gasper. But then, you know, I suppose... Yeah, it's, it's a real What's show. his oh, taste you... in woman got to do with it? <laughs> Is this style 0898 him it's gasp? Have I just made a massive faux pas on more ways, on more, more levels than one about someone who's recently deceased and presuming his sexuality? <laughs> All right, you old gasper. <laughs> Anything interesting for the bi week ahead? Um, what are you doing for Halloween? I'm going to York next week. Mm. Um, are you going to march nice. up? To, you told me the other day that I marched you up the hill and down again. Is that where yeah. you're going now? I'm going to go there with a grand old duke to be marched up and down the hill. That sounds kinky. <laughs> I'm hoping while I'm there I don't have 10,000 men. <laughs> Plus ça change, Ben. <laughs> Not quite. Happy days. Bye. Bye.